This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey everybody, welcome into a Thanksgiving week edition of the College Football Fix Podcast presented by USA Today Sports. I'm Dan Wolken with Paul Meyerberg. Certainly hope everybody has a terrific Thanksgiving. Wanted to start the podcast today, unfortunately, on a bit of a sad note, just acknowledge the passing of our colleague Cecil Hurt, who was the sports editor, longtime columnist at the Tuscaloosa News, essentially was a human encyclopedia for everything Alabama football and uh, certainly got to know Cecil uh, well over the years, uh, especially just being around Alabama as much as we were at different uh, championship games on campus, whatever, and just a really amazing, witty, funny person, writer, columnist, uh, really good guy, and somebody I always enjoyed coming across. And um, just unfortunately passed away 62 years old, came down with an illness a few weeks ago and went into the hospital. And uh, certainly everyone was hoping he was going to pull through and, and just uh, did not. So I just wanted to mention that to start the podcast because uh, college football is really going to miss Cecil. Yeah, um, really sad, really sad. And not not going to say at all that I had a deeply personal relationship with Cecil. Like you, I would parachute into, you know, Tuscaloosa or more often see them in a playoff game. And he was the kind of guy that you wanted to kind of impress because he was almost larger than life in this profession to me. And we use the phrase, they don't make them like they used to a lot for things that they do make still like they used to. But Cecil is, is to me, the last of a, of a line of, of local beat guys who weren't obsessed with becoming the college football writer at ESPN or getting their faces on television and, and being big deals outside of their neighborhood and their area. And he truly owned that beat and was Alabama football to a lot of people. So obviously thoughts go out of Cecil and, and his family first and foremost and his friends. And he had hundreds of friends, probably thousands if you count people like me, um, but also, you know, to those who have read him for 40 years, you know, so there's a huge gap in Tuscaloosa and, and in Alabama football and a huge gap in college football, period. Dan. I mean, you saw what Saban said yesterday, right? I mean, for Nick Saban to come out and say that in a statement about a, a media guy just speaks volumes. I think he touched a lot of people. So really sad. Not to mention, Dan, he was a super smart guy. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. And that was like hidden behind a really folksy demeanor. So smart. So smart. You saw it in his humor, but in the way that he wrote and the way that he was able to capture things, just so well-read, really a smart guy and an institution. So he's going to be really missed. Yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of conversations with him over the years about things that had nothing to do with, with football and with sports and uh, found him to be really, really engaging and entertaining and insightful. So uh, certainly as we get down to the end of the season next weekend, I'll be at the SEC championship game in Atlanta between Alabama and Georgia, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to do something in the press box there to uh, honor him uh, because he, he certainly deserves it. Um, I think Cecil at this point would want us to move on to talking about college football <laughs> because he loved the sport so much and uh, saw so much in it. And, and man, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, let's start with the playoff rankings because I think that is the most immediate interesting item on the agenda and obviously this is going to sort itself out and some of these things are going to fade as we 
see what happens this coming weekend. But I do think it's a big deal that the committee on Wednesday decided or on Tuesday, sorry, decided to move Ohio State up to number two, jumping Alabama, which I think is just an acknowledgement of how well Ohio State's playing. The fact that they now just look like the team that can beat Georgia if there is one. And they have moved Cincinnati to number four. And I have been skeptical from the beginning of the season that the committee would give Cincinnati a fair chance, that Cincinnati would be able to get into the playoff regardless of what they did, because I just don't think the system has ever been set up for a team like Cincinnati to make it. And yet here we are, they're number four. They're playing East Carolina. They should win that one. And then they got Houston, which is going to be a tough game. But I mean, I guess at this point, if they go 13 and 0, they're, they're getting in. So what, what did you make of how the committee treated those two teams this week? Yeah, I want to ask you about Alabama in a sec. But in, for the Cincinnati being at number four, I still like, I feel positive about Cincinnati getting in. Like, I think that it's obviously higher than a 50% chance. But what we know from the history of this format is like, this committee will do things that you don't expect or that you can't really predict on the final Saturday. You know what I mean? Like when conference championships come down, like they will shake things up. So yeah, it's thirteen and zero Cincinnati probably getting in above twelve and one Oklahoma State, probably. But I don't know. Well, especially if Alabama beats Georgia, then it gets interesting. Well, yeah. So I, I am just for the sake of this conversation going to assume that Alabama loses to Georgia, and I would think that would eliminate them with two losses, no conference championship, and and not looking like a overwhelmingly dominant Alabama team, and you know. Who who could possibly jump Cincy? I mean, I just think sort of the way that this sets up, it's not going to be Notre Dame because the committee would have to honor the head-to-head between Notre Dame and Cincinnati. That, that was a game that was decided on the field at Notre Dame Stadium and Cincinnati won. They have to honor that. And if you're talking about a Big 12 team, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, like – They've never been ahead of Cincinnati this whole year at any point. So what would make those teams, either of those teams, should they win Bedlam and then the Big 12 championship? Yeah, I mean, they'd get an extra good win. If it's Oklahoma State, you know, you beat a top 10 Baylor and a top 10 Oklahoma, and maybe that does give you some boost there. But I don't know. Like, it just doesn't seem to me like the committee would jump would, is impressed enough with either of those teams to jump them over Cincinnati. I could be wrong, but that's just the way it shapes up to me. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think that's probably how it's going to play out, but there are metrics that they could use to justify it. Oh, yeah. You know, so I think we, we'll cross. I think we can discuss it next week as we get closer. Certainly if Oklahoma State beat, beats Oklahoma, and maybe that's something that becomes a little bit more of a possibility. Um, I wanted to ask you about Alabama. We always like – ascribe motives to this committee like they're always like this deep thought process the truth is right this is not that deep but what do you put into the fact that they're number three as much as it benefits ohio or it's a um uh like a marker of how good ohio state has been any reading into this situation that says alabama going to three means that a lose and you're out instead of being at two and potentially losing and only falling to four I don't read into it that much, but I do think it's somewhat of an acknowledgement that, like, from the eye test, this Alabama team just does not measure up to 
some of the previous Alabama teams we've seen that he even had one loss at this point in the season. And they've kind of struggled with teams like LSU, like Arkansas, like Florida. And certainly Arkansas is a good team. Like I don't put the standard that Alabama's got to beat them by 11 billion points for it to be impressive. But I just think we see the totality of this Alabama team. There's real weaknesses there. They don't, cover well in the secondary they don't have a real dominant they don't even have a what i would call a good running game at this point like their success is kind of dependent on bryce young and by the way their their receivers like their best receiver is a guy that really couldn't get into the mix at ohio state at this point he was he would their fourth guy yeah right and and he's gone out and we're talking about jameson williams like really good player but he's gone to Alabama and become their go-to weapon in in the passing game. So I, I just think, like, we have such high standards for Alabama, and we assume that they're always going to be great because of the amount of talent that they have. But they play young. They play immature. They play sloppy. They commit penalties. They drop passes. And if not for Bryce Young being awesome, like, this Alabama team would be like a three-loss team. So – I don't want to say that they can't beat Georgia in a one-game scenario because I don't like to get into those absolutes. But I think the more likely thing that will happen a week from Saturday is that they get beat by three touchdowns. I really do. I can see them getting smushed. More than I yeah. can see Alabama doing the vice versa. Um, yeah, you know, I think the – I think it's not really realistic from what you're saying to really say that, hey, Alabama lost 21-19, let's keep them in. I don't think that's realistic. I think they're out. I think they're 99% out with a loss, regardless of what it looks like. Because like you said, um, if you take Alabama off the helmets and off the program, I'm not sure if this is the type of team that would warrant that kind of respect. They warrant it because of what they've achieved, and I get that, but – Jeez, you know, so we, this is the idea that Cincinnati would get in and Alabama is not is would be hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a winner in for them. I like to see them go against Auburn and have their more complete game, which they haven't had in a couple weeks against the SEC. I like to see them beat them by thirty, which is obviously possible to feel better about them in Georgia. But um, yeah, I, I mean, we'll talk about that game next week. But for in terms of the playoff implications, yeah, I think Alabama has been now moved into winner winner out. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting we have not talked about hardly at all on this podcast, and I don't think anybody's talking about the fact that as of this moment, the number five team is Michigan. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, first of all, there's a couple layers to this. One, just at the beginning of the season, who could have ever seen that going into this game, the big game, who would have ever thought Michigan would be number five? Like, we're coming off an offseason where Michigan literally redid Jim Harbaugh's contract to make it easier for them to get rid of him. And he agreed to that and he took a pay cut and all that stuff. But like, this was a real, like you better deliver season for Jim Harbaugh and they've delivered. And I don't know that they're going to beat Ohio state. In fact, I think they likely won't, but I do want to just give them a nod for kind of being in this position. And as you zoom out again on the Jim Harbaugh era and, all the same stuff is going to come up if they don't beat Ohio State about he can't win that game, blah, 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 blah. 
Jim Harbaugh's done a good job in Michigan. <laughs> They're fifth going into the final game of the season. A game, a game, by the way, that regardless of regardless of anything, like if they're going to get into the playoff in any year, they have to win this game. And maybe at some point they will. And but my my I guess what I'm saying is like if they lose this game and they end up ten and two, I don't think it's a disappointment. I think it's a great year. Absolutely. And the fact that they ha- now have the upside of if they do happen to win this game, and by the way, it is at home. It's in the big house. Then they're probably going to the playoff. How I, and nobody's talking about Michigan at all. Yeah, if you really want to have your mind blown, think about uh, maybe a sketchy call, a little bit of a defensive stop, and they're number two in the country because they're eleven and zero. Um, and and, was- and they might be in position in that case to lose this game by a field goal and still get in. Yeah, over Cincinnati, yeah. absolutely. Um, so. I think we spoke about Michigan very briefly early in the year because of the Harbaugh situation, and I thought that they would bounce back, and I thought they'd win eight or nine games, like nine games, because that's what they've done under Harbaugh. I mean, except for last year, they do it every single year. Um, to, to be 10-1 and one at this point and have no one talking about them is really remarkable. I don't know what to, what to blame that on. Um, you'd think that we'd be talking about Michigan every single day. Um, but it's a, it's a really remarkable turnaround you know, for the program. But it kind of isn't awesome. I mean – Let's not put any stock into the pandemic here. This is really just a continuation to a degree of where they were two or three years ago. I mean, how long ago was it when they had that game where it was for everything? That was 2016. The game was yeah. with the spot, 32-29. So let's not pretend that Michigan hasn't been knocking on the door at this moment for a long time and been there before. So um, can they win? Absolutely. Will they win? I don't think they will. But, yes, um, thinking about something that Cecil wrote that was shared online yesterday. Um, when Mike Shula was in his last days at Alabama in 06, his quote to start his column was, is he the best coach that Alabama can get? Um, and that was like the end for Shula because Cecil <laughs> um, yeah. Michigan has to ask themselves if they lose on Saturday, is Jim Harbaugh the best coach we can get? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. The answer is yes. Uh, I defy you to hire Matt Campbell and have him get back to this point twice, and which is Harbaugh has done twice. So, Harbaugh's justified it. Um, he's proven again why he's one of the better coaches in the country, better coaches in the Big Ten. And uh, win or lose on Saturday, like you said, this is a successful year by any measure for Michigan. I hope that a loss doesn't overshadow that. I like the point you just made, and I think we'll get back to that in a minute as we get into the discussion about the coaching carousel, which is just crazy right now. What about the Big 12? And so we got Bedlam this weekend. And I love the fact that this game matters. I mean, it's it's everything to these two teams. Uh, I covered it a few years ago. Before it, it was the one. It was the last year with the Big Twelve did not have a championship game, and I, I just remember going up to Stillwater and freezing my ass off. And Oklahoma won and basically clinched a playoff spot. And it was very cold and just terrible weather, but it was it was cool. So. It's kind of the same situation in in a sense, uh, but you know you got Oklahoma State at seven, you've got Oklahoma at ten. I don't think Oklahoma is dead. If they win this game in Stillwater, come back and beat Oklahoma State a second time, very hard to do. I mean, back to back weeks, like I think that in and of itself gives them maybe a bit of credibility that they wouldn't have had otherwise. They're not out of it. It's a long shot. Um, they they have the Big Twelve is not self immolated like the Pac twelve, but it 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 it's you you called them a winner of this in your winners and losers. 
Yeah, I mean, they're in the mix. And, and uh, the point you made on Twitter last night, which was good, is Oklahoma's a win on Saturday away from being number six in the penultimate rankings, right? Because they're going to leapfrog Baylor. They're going to yeah. leapfrog Ole Miss. They're going to go ahead of Notre Dame. Um, and they're obviously going to go ahead of Oklahoma State. So you're looking at number six. I'm sorry, they're going to go ahead of Michigan or Ohio State. Actually, let me backtrack. They will go ahead of Michigan. I'm not convinced that they'll go ahead of Ohio State. Um, but if Michigan loses, they're number six, Notre Dame number five. And then you beat Oklahoma State again, and you've got a better you're, – you're, you're ahead of Notre Dame. So they're alive. Oklahoma State obviously also alive. Um, so I think the Big 12 is not in great shape, but they're in the mix for this. you know. So um, obviously knowing the Big 12 or knowing how these things work, you know, Oklahoma will lose Oklahoma State, and then Baylor will beat Oklahoma State, and it'll be everybody, you know, out of the pool. So, um, but at this point, you got to take them seriously, at least on the fringes of this thing, is, as uh, going to rise. I mean, they're, one of these teams is going to rise at least one, maybe two spots next Tuesday. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch it all play out. Um, I think, like always, it's probably going to be pretty simple for the committee at the end. And, you know, that's what we want. We want the results to matter of, of the games the next two weeks. Have we had a, a nasty Sunday since the first one? Just refresh my memory. Have we had one? That's not, been not, not really. No, yeah. I mean, look, look, last year I wrote a column because I just didn't think like that there was a good. I didn't think there was a good number four. So I advocated for Cincinnati to get in, you mm-hmm. know, and but I was fine. I was, you know, I was basically fine with what they did. Uh, with with Notre Dame and Clemson getting in, you know the the year that at Al- 2017 Alabama gets in to the college football playoff without winning their division, and I didn't love that. Now they ended up winning the national championship, you know, but I didn't like that precedent. I didn't like what they did because I didn't think Alabama had great wins that year. But the problem was there wasn't like there wasn't some great option to to put there instead like i you know i think it was usc was the pac-12 champ and like maybe you know you could have but they weren't very good like you know what i mean so yeah we the first year where ohio state jumps tcu and baylor is the biggest controversy we've had since this 14 playoff has been invented i don't know if that's luck or the process working the way it was designed to work but it actually has been remarkable how little controversy there's been because we all thought when the system first started that there would be controversy every year and just hadn't. Yeah, it hasn't been that way. So I don't expect, like you said, it to be this year either. I mean, chaos could come, but this seems to be fairly cut and dry. I think the biggest source of outrage would be if Alabama beats Georgia. Then you have two SEC teams. I think that would make a lot of people upset, but you can't really argue against that. Yeah, I can't really argue it. I mean, Georgia's – and again, Georgia's I'm assuming Georgia's, Georgia's going to beat Georgia Tech by, you know, I think that's a name the score game because Georgia Tech's terrible. Uh, but yeah, like, I'd be okay with it. Georgia's, Georgia deserves to get in if they lose to Alabama. I'm sorry. They just do. Absolutely. So. All right. Let's uh, talk about the coaching carousel now because that's the other subplot that's going on all over the country. Since we last spoke on this podcast, Florida has fired Dan Mullen. And to me, this one sort of encapsulates everything that is wrong with college football right now. Not that Dan Mullen – look, I, and I, I, I tweet some, some of this stuff, and people respond with the most bizarre things. Like I had people tweeting, 
you know, oh, sorry to lose Dan Mullen as a source. Like, dude, I, I'll be honest. Like, I'd love to say that I am, like, you know, on a texting basis with every college football coach in the country. Like, that ain't the case. I, it's, I, I, I didn't really, like, know Dan Mullen that, that way, um, that he was, like, a source. That's ridiculous. Um, but I think Dan Mullen fundamentally is a good football coach who, across a decade at two different SEC jobs, did extremely well. And you go sort of year by year, he met or exceeded expectations for just about every team he ever coached. And then this year was just a bad year. Like stuff happened. It was terrible. They, they weren't good. They lost that game to Alabama that they could have won. And then things just started spiraling right and left. I'm not saying he is the best coach that Florida could have had or that he deserved to, to get another 10 years or whatever. It's just – the guy took Florida to three New Year's Six Bowls in his first three years. Like, that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. And then there's one team that wins a national championship every year. And for most of the time Dan Mullen's been a head coach, that team's been Alabama. <laughs> so, like, it's it's not a – or Clemson. So it's not a large group of teams that's winning national titles. One bad year gets you fired at a place like Florida now. And – we're now in an environment where coaches are are staying put. A lot of the hot names. Um, I think there's a good chance Florida ends up with Billy Napier. Okay, just as an example. Okay, Billy Napier. I think if I had to bet money, and like, don't hold me to this. Don't don't go out there on the blogs and say that that Dan Walken is reporting that Billy Napier is going to be the next head coach of Florida. I'm just saying, like, as we record this podcast today, if I had to bet on who's going to get that job. I think Billy Napier's a very likely guy to get it. Is he a better coach than Dan Mullen? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Dan Mullen will obviously be a head coach again. I think he botched this from like an off-field perspective and things spiraled uh, with him and administration, him and players, whatever happened with him and recruiting. I just think there were a lot of things that seemed to pop up that were unrelated to Saturdays that then influenced the way that his team played. So. Like if Penn State had become available and Franklin had taken the SC job, I don't know if Mullen would have landed there. I think there would be a little bit of a tarnished uh, reputation a bit. But, yeah, he's a good football coach. If you think otherwise because of one year, then then you're being silly. Um, will Billy Napier reach, reach, like you said, three near six bowls in a row? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but then the question comes down to what does Florida expect from its head coach? What do these power five teams that, like you said, compete for national championships but don't win them? What is your standard? What is, what's the benchmark that you have to meet at Florida to keep your job? Because this is three coaches in a row that have been let go mid-season or late season. Um, there's only one Urban Meyer, only one Steve Spurrier. You know? So Billy Napier is walking into a hornet's nest. It's a great job. He's been waiting for a job like this. But you got to ask yourself, what do I need to do here to keep this job? You know, And I don't know if Florida can even give that answer because clearly what happened with Mullen one down year was, was enough for them. Yeah, look, the way this coaching carousel is kind of shaping up right now, the the names that are, are kind of movable, the big names that are movable, are most likely Billy Napier, Matt Campbell, and, you know, uh, Jamie Chadwell, you know, guys like that. Florida's a big job. And you look at the history of, of a place like Florida after Spurrier, Zook got three years, they fire him, bring in Urban. Urban did what he did, amazing run. He, he leaves, retires, whatever you want to call it, once it started to trend downward. 
And Muschamp, four. McIlwain, three. Mullen, four. That's what the job is. You get three to four years to do what they want you to do. And I'm not sure, like, everyone talks about how Florida is a top five job, a top ten job. The way I just increasingly look at college football right now, as national as recruiting is, as much money as everybody is is pouring into these programs, especially in the SEC, like everybody's trying to win at the really high, high level. I'm just not sure that there's a huge difference in a lot of these jobs. I'm really not. So you're saying if you're not one of those top five, which we would have established as Alabama blank, 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 you might as well be at any one of those next 10, basically. Or, or even next, like, 20. I mean, yeah, hasn't, Clemson, the list is. Yeah. hasn't Clemson kind of proved that? No one would have said Clemson is a top 10 job yeah. 10 years ago. Nobody would have said that. You know what I mean? But they've they've made it. They, they've done it. They've And guess what? Whenever Dabo decides to go do something else, like, it's not going to be a top 10 job. It's not. No. Florida's look. Florida's got the brand, and they've got three national titles, so it obviously can be done there. But like, what big advantage do they have? Like Gainesville is is you know it's a couple hour drive from Orlando and Tampa. Okay, cool. Um, but like, what makes that job a better job than the Georgia job, or you know, or in some ways even the Tennessee job? Like, I'm not sure that it's. It's that does, different. Does anyone think Florida's a better job than Georgia? Oh, a lot of not. people do. Oh. A lot of people do because they've won three national titles. Georgia's not won one since 1980. And false. so a lot of people think that. Yeah. Um, I think, Dan, uh, the, my first thought, this is not in a, a, at all an affront to Billy Napier. We've talked about him on this podcast a lot. He's accomplished quite a bit at Louisiana, and, and he could have had other jobs. He's waited for this one and paid off for him if he gets it. But when Florida is hiring the coach from the Sun Belt, what does that mean for, you know, the next job in the line? You know what I mean? Like you mentioned the good coaches, the name coaches who are available, and we struggled to get the three. You pulled out Jamie Chadwell as number three. So I think there's going to be a lot of disappointed programs, a lot of disappointed fan bases who went into this thinking, oh, we're going to get this dude. Like here comes a national championship, and all of a sudden you're stuck with the next coach from the Sun Belt or a guy from Conference USA and you're wondering what the hell happened. Um, so there's going to be a that, – that's probably going to be the theme to me at the end of this of this coaching cycle is um, unrealized searches, searches that did not meet expectations. There is a supply-demand imbalance in the coaching carousel right now that's unlike anything people have ever seen in this sport. Florida's open, LSU's open, USC's open. That's three mega jobs. And then you start to go down. You've got Virginia Tech that's open. Uh, you're probably going to have – you've got TCU, although we all know Sonny Dykes is going to be the next coach at TCU. You've got Arizona State that could likely open you know, with Herm Edwards, uh, whatever they're going to term it, retirement or, or whatever. It, it seems like this is you know probably his last year. You know, And then, and then we're going to have jobs that sort of get you know filtered down. And here's the flip side of it. James Franklin staying at Penn State. Um, you know, Mel Tucker not officially staying, but he's been offered a contract that you have to imagine, especially coming off what happened last weekend against Ohio State, that he's going to 
at some point take that contract. Um, Hugh Freeze just signed a new extension at Liberty, $4 million at Liberty a year. Like, I, first of all, I don't even understand the economics of that. I don't necessarily even want to. But, like, like Hugh Freeze is apparently, you know, staying at, at Liberty. So my point is, like, where are all these coaching candidates going to come from? And I'm just not saying, you know, Luke Fickle. People think Luke Fickle is probably staying at Cincinnati, that he would only leave for Michigan or Penn State or Ohio State or, you know, he probably wouldn't go to Michigan because he's an Ohio State guy. But um, Notre Dame, you know, a Midwest, a big boy Midwest job. So if none of those guys, you know, if Luke Fickle's not leaving, Mel Tucker's not leaving, and uh, James Franklin's not leaving, well, like, where are you getting these coaches from? And I, as somebody texted me yesterday, and I think this was a really good comment, was Scott Strickland, it probably never crossed his mind that he was going to be having to do a coaching search this year, the athletic director at Florida, until they lose to South Carolina. Yeah. And then it all changes, right? And then all of a sudden it becomes a – you, you probably have to you probably have to get rid of this guy and so schools are firing coaches um, oh and I forgot to mention Jimbo Jimbo's not leaving Jimbo's not leaving Texas A&M to go to LSU right so and they're all getting 10-year contracts so this is the new norm more this is the new norm schools are more impatient than ever and yet also giving out longer contracts than ever. That is a crazy business model that doesn't really seem to work for me. But at the same time, if these schools just are okay to pay buyouts every three, four years, then then great. And I guess that's just going to be the new philosophy for a school like Florida is you just bring in a guy, you try him for three, four years. If it doesn't work, you just try the next guy and you just pay whatever it is you got to pay. And that's just what it's going to be. Just crazy, crazy. It's crazy on both sides, the coaching side and the hiring side. Just crazy. Um, First off, I just want to say, I'll take any of these jobs for half a million dollars. Yeah, no, I think half a million dollars. Yeah, It'd be a bargain. Do, I will devote all the rest of that money to hiring the best staff in the country. I will. I won't even. I'm going to hire ten of the best recruiters in the country and pay them each a million bucks. Go to work. That's it. Half a million dollars for me. Uh, that does not count my radio show and all that other trash. I could probably get up to three quarters of a million. I'm not even worried about it. I'll live in a two-bedroom apartment somewhere near campus. I'll just – that's it. I don't even – I'm not even going to do any coaching. I'm just going to guide people. Just be a CEO. Dan, what happened to coordinators? We feel like we've had a market overcorrection in terms of we have to hire – all these places think this job is too big for a first-time head coach. Everywhere, right? Like Florida, we're not going to hire a coordinator. We can't do that. you got to be ready. you got to have experience. Well – what happened to hiring a coordinator? Like, I feel like within the last 20 years, that's what you did. You just hired coordinators. Like, every school would hire a coordinator. Like, what's wrong with hiring a coordinator? I can't, like, I'm not going to name one off the top of my head who's like, right, Tony Elliott is obviously the guy everyone says is ready for the job. But what's wrong with hiring a coordinator? Well, It's worked look, for a long time. Look, you can point to examples on both sides of the coordinator thing. You say, oh, you know, and the Florida people would say, we can't hire a coordinator because we hired Will Muschamp and that didn't work out. Okay, cool. But what about Kirby Smart? That worked out. He was a coordinator at Alabama. That worked out pretty good. 
Um, Lincoln Riley was a never been a head coach, was a coordinator, gets to Oklahoma job. Fine. Uh, by the way, his predecessor, Bob Stoops, had been Steve Spurrier's defensive yeah. coordinator at Florida. He gets the Oklahoma job, wins a national title, and goes on an unbelievable, you know, twenty-year run, so or fifteen-year run, whatever it was. So, like, yeah, you can hire a coordinator, and it could work or it could fail. And guess what? You could hire a guy who's been a head coach, somebody like a Matt Campbell, who's done pretty good at Iowa State, but it's not like he's lifted Iowa State to, you know, national championship contention or anything like that. You don't know if, if he would work at Florida and get you where you want it. You have no idea. None of us do. It's a total gamble. So that's just where we are. Oh, Ryan Day, coordinator, seems to be working out okay for Ohio State. So, yeah, I think this idea you can't hire a coordinator is crazy. Like, if I were Florida, I would look at Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator of Georgia. First of all, it hurts to some degree, to some level, your primary competition. He is a coordinator who is renowned as an unbelievable recruiter he's besides you know besides kirby he's the best recruiter on that staff at georgia he's coordinating a defense right now that is the best we've seen probably in a few years in college football mm-hmm. and you know he's young and he's ready to be a head coach like he knows the sec i think there are crazier ideas but if you end up hiring dan lanning at florida the fan base is going to say that's not good enough it's a tough situation. Yeah. I don't know enough about Lanning's personality to know, like, what if that job is going to overwhelm him. Um, but, yeah, that's my point. Hire coordinators like the Kirby Smart who have spent time in, in concrete programs with sustained success, and you ask them, what have you learned? What would you do differently? Who would you hire? And if you like those answers, then you, then you roll the dice. Um, and I was kind of joking about – I mean, I'm not joking. I will take the job for half a million. But the idea that you hire a coordinator um, – for a little bit of a cheaper price than nine and a half billion dollars a year or whatever Mel Tucker or Franklin's going to get. And you devote resources elsewhere. So I'd like to see teams take a chance like that instead of doing, you know, having to hire for, you know, an established head coach every single time. But you do you, Florida. We'll talk about this in 2026. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think the odds of them getting a coach who's better than Dan Mullen uh, just as a coach and better in terms of record, uh, the first three years is probably low. Like I, I don't think that's a huge uh, likelihood, but it's just the reality of what we're dealing with. And it's it's putting names into play for some of these jobs. You know, Miami is almost certainly going to open. Uh, didn't talk about that one. Like it's going to put names in play that are, are kind of underwhelming. You know, how does Pat Narduzzi sound to you right now? You know what I mean? Like this is kind of where, where we are. Yeah. Um, so – there are going to be schools in this who are disappointed. You know, if I were Florida, I think the right move would have been to hold on for one more year. And then next year, you're probably at the very, very, very top of the job market. And maybe there are some more candidates who've emerged, but right now it's tough. And, um, you know, are, are you surprised that Franklin stayed? I, I kind of am. It's not like they've had an awesome last couple years, and he, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in, in, you know, three years from now. But I, I just thought this would have been a good time for him to hit the reset button. Yeah, I'm not surprised he stayed, and partially it's because of what you just mentioned, that um, 
he was able to get a commitment from the school, which, I mean, obviously he helped manufacture, uh, but to get that commitment at this time of his tenure when things have been, again, like, I don't want to say that last year meant anything. Last year I throw everything yeah. out, but nonetheless, yeah. they're 11 and 10 in the last two years. Um, so I think this was a time for him to, no, 11 and 9, whatever it is. This was a time for him to to accept that opportunity to recommit himself and to stay committed to the program. I'm not surprised. Also, we got to know about James, like, he isn't one of those guys who's like, man, I can't wait to get out of state college and get into the bright lights, you know, and, and get myself on a, on a billboard going down, you know, the I-10. Yes. Does he like to be in front of the cameras? Does he like to talk? Yes. But he's very happy at Penn State. He's established there. His family is, is happy there. So I'm not surprised by it. I'm interested because I haven't seen this, what the reaction of the fan base was. I have to assume that they're pleased with it because they've probably been wrestling with the idea that the job could, could become available. Um, but, uh, no, not surprised. I think it's a good fit for everybody. And, you know, at least maybe Penn state realizes that not every year is going to be a championship year. And sometimes you might take a little bit of a step back. They have an incredible recruiting class right now coming together better than Ohio state's currently. So, um, glad to see them stick together. You know, we'll revisit this in three years. But I think if you're a Penn state fan, you're thinking this is good two, three years. We don't need to worry about this anymore. I'm really interested to see what what's plan B for LSU here because everyone knew that plan A was Jimbo and that's not going to happen. And you certainly thought, okay, if that doesn't work, Mel Tucker, James Franklin, I mean, it seems like both those guys are staying. So now what? I mean, Lane, Mark Stoops. Let's say plan D. I mean, this would be serious. At least plan C. Like uh, we mentioned Tucker like offhand, and then actually I think that became something a little bit more serious. I think you could say that he was their number two option or co-number two option with the Franklin or whomever. Yeah, I don't know who's going to move the needle for them right now. Does Lane do that? I think he does, but there's obvious baggage there. So I don't, I don't know what LSU does or what they can do now that's going to satisfy folks who thought that this was going to be a home run. Yeah, Lane, uh, you know, Lane is is – it's a tough call because I understand the concerns. I really do. And, you know, I'm not sure that he – the whole thing about, oh, Lane's like a, a different guy now and all that stuff. I mean, in some ways, yes. Uh, but there is still an element of, you know, trolly, unpredictability. It could go off the rails at any second with Lane kind of a fear out there that's legitimate. But he has done a great job at Ole Miss with the team he has. I, I, you know, I would think with Lane that he would want to get out of there this year because, you know, you look at the recruiting rankings of, of those classes that he's had at Ole Miss, and, and it's not like, you know, it's not like he's totally transformed the recruiting landscape of Ole Miss football. Um, and I do think Ole Miss is tough in, in some ways. And I do think the idea of, okay, you go down to LSU or Florida and you have access to the kind of players that you can get at those schools. It, to me, it's got to be appealing because I'm not sure it gets better for Lane at Ole Miss than this year with Matt Corral and what they've been able to do. And it looks like, well, I mean, they could they could lose the Egg Bowl, but if they win 10-2 and two and get into a New Year's Six Bowl, like that's probably about as good as it's going to get. Yeah, you make a really good point about the recruiting aspect of his tenure. And I think if you're an LSU or a Miami, you'd have to really look at that and ask him tough questions. You would think um, with Mike Leach at Mississippi State 
And this is not because Mike Leach is not a draw to certain people or, or because Mike Leach is not a winning and very successful coach. But Mike Leach and his programs historically have not been, you know, hard charging. Let's hit the trail. We're recruiting day in, day out. You would think that Lane Kiffin, that old Miss, would have had an opportunity to dominate that state um, and make it a destination. It hasn't necessarily been the case. He has not locked down the borders. Uh, I think Ole Miss recruiting, like you said, has been fun. But it's not been at the level that you might expect from Kiffin, and given his reputation, given what he's what he's done there. So it's a good question. And, and I don't know if, um, yeah, next year they will not be as good, 100%. And what will they look like in 2023? I don't know. I, and his stock is high. Go for it. Cash in. I would go to Miami if I were him. I think Miami suits his personality. I think people there, um, certainly members of that fan base, would buy into his cockiness. They would like that. He, he's got sort of the iconoclast thing that seems to work with Miami. You know, that historically has worked for Miami. And, and I think that could be a, a good spot for him if they would be willing to pony up. I'm really interested in what's going to happen with USC right now. You know, they've been pretty quiet, laying in wait. Um, you know, I think there's probably more steam right now than there's been with uh, Dave Aranda in USC. Mm-hmm. I think I think in some ways that fit makes a lot of sense. He And he's from out there. He's a California, Southern California guy. You play really good defense. He has shown an incredible – ability to adapt and adjust this year with the offense that they're running at Baylor. Um, you know, D- Dave's a, you know, kind of low key brainy guy and, and you don't necessarily associate that with, with USC, but I, I do think that, that he's a little bit of a Pete Carroll type personality in, in some ways, maybe not as effervescent, but I do think there's, there's like, I don't think it's so dissimilar that it couldn't work. Does he think that nine 11 was an inside job? <laughs> that's where <laughs> well. Um, hey, uh, this is not a name that we have mentioned at all. It's a name that's always on the tip of my tongue and always on my brain. Because if I was an AD at any school, any Power 5 school in the country, from Alabama through Wisconsin, he's the first guy that I would call. Um, and it's a Baylor coach, but the guy who preceded him. Um, if I'm USC, I, I would be calling that rule um, immediately, right away. You think um, he's just done with the NFL? I I, I can't say that I have maintained my relationship with him that I used to have. I haven't, unfortunately. So I can't, I don't know where his mind is at. Um, but uh, he's built for the college game. He's built for the college game and he is built for the biggest stages in college football. I think Notre Dame was the job that he has always wanted. Um, Notre Dame and the New York Giants. Um, and if Notre Dame was available, I, I think that he would, he would walk there. But I think a place like USC um, in that market, with that attention, um, with his personality, it's just a beautiful, beautiful fit. And they can pay him enough where it would offset the fact that he's making whatever eight at Carolina. Not going to make eight, but he's going to make good money at SC. So he's the first call I make. Dave Miranda, great fit. I love the fact that he's a brainy, cerebral guy and a sport full of meatheads. Um, but Matt Rule to me at SC and at a lot of different places, uh, any place that was available to me, Matt Rule would be one of my first calls. All right, well, it's going to be really interesting, and there's probably going to be a ton of news that happens between now and the next podcast. Let's uh, get into what's going to happen this weekend. This will not have a very long shelf life, but Thanksgiving night, Egg Bowl, it's in Starkville. It's going to be a snake pit of an atmosphere down there. What do we think? I think that I'm going to eat a lot of ham. I'm going to have a lot of ham. 
I'm going to have a little bit of turkey. I'm going to have a lot of stuffing. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to have some drinks. I'm going to get on my couch and I'm going to love the hell out of this game. I cannot wait for the egg bowl at seven 30, a little bit sleepy, eyes are a little heavy. You might, you know, just kind of doze off for five or 10 minutes. Um, I think this is going to be a great game. I think Ole Miss will win, but I think that this has the potential to be, uh, you know, as it always does, just must see television between these two rivals. You know, there's always going to be something that happens in this game. Yeah, like you know, be and, one moment where you got yeah. you can't look away. You know, now now this it's different because like Hugh Freeze and Dan Mullen, like there was a real there was real friction there at that time for a lot of reasons, uh, including the NCAA investigation and the way that went down. Leach and Kiffin have tried to lower the temperature. Uh, I don't think it works with the fan bases. I think yeah. they want the temperature to be high. Lean into it. Lean into it. This isn't like this is not sharks and the jets like shaking hands. You guys have to be at odds. You guys are both crips and bloods. That's like be at odds. Make it nasty. So I don't want to see that. I want there to be a guy uh, scoring a touchdown, pantomiming, uh, going to the bathroom in the end zone. Classic moments. Um, I just want that. I want that. Please give me that. Friday's games probably not as awesome. Um, the best one actually might be uh, Boise State at San Diego State. Um, you know, Hank Bachmeyer's played pretty well this season for Boise State. They've they've figured some things out after a pretty slow start. San Diego State ten and one, and Brady Hoke is that 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 is the job for him for whatever reason he works at that job. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm interested in, in this game. I'm excited about this game and, and seeing that awesome San Diego State defense go against Boise State. Yeah, two really good defenses. Uh, you nailed it on Boise State. I think there was a learning curve for Avalos as a first-time coach. They had some issues on offense. I think they had a lot of injuries, but they're hitting their stride. Um, they have a really good chance to finish nine and four if they beat San Diego State and head into next year with a lot of momentum, potentially one of the top three or four teams preseason in the Group of Five. So big game for Boise. Look, San Diego State, they're a spot ahead of UTSA despite being 10-1 and to 11-0 UTSA. They're three ahead of Houston at 10-1. and If Houston does upset Cincinnati and San Diego State beats Boise, which will carry a lot of weight with the committee, and then they beat either Air Force or Utah State, probably Air Force, um, they're the group of five bid to the New Year's Six. So I think there's a lot for them to play for. So, yeah, this is probably – um, Cincinnati ECU is the more interesting nationally, but I think that's the game of the day on Friday. Yeah, I don't really see anything else out there on Friday that, that is must-watch. Although, look, Cincinnati's got to go to East Carolina. East Carolina's had a solid year. Like Mike Houston finally got that thing turned around. Houston was a terrific coach at the FCS level, comes up to FBS with East Carolina, and it took a couple years, but they finally got this thing rolling now and you know i remember when east carolina football was a real thing and they fill that stadium they have a big stadium great fan base i think that it, it it's going to be an interesting atmosphere because when that place is is rolling it's tough to play there and i think cincinnati will have to play well to to beat a a pretty good east carolina team yeah i mean they're in third place right now in the in the american untied five and two in league play and they have turned it around I think Cincinnati's very confident they're going to win this game. But, uh, yeah, ECU can sneak up and grab them. So they'll be ready to play. I think one other game we should mention um, is primetime UNC at NC State. I think it's yeah. at NC State. 
Interesting game, uh, not for any reason except for potentially who's going to play for an ACC championship and get in the New Year's Six. If NC State wins that game, um, NC State cannot. NC State is eliminated. Am I, am I right? Am I getting this right? Didn't Wake beat NC State? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, but I was thinking more in terms of Clemson. If NC State loses... No, no, no. No, no, no. Wake lost to NC State. Okay. So here, here we go. NC State beats UNC. Wake loses to BC. NC State plays Pitt. Uh, NC State loses. Wake wins. Wake wins either way they're in. But if Wake loses, NC State loses, then you got Clemson, Pitt. And I think uh be pretty remarkable in this trashy season if Clemson gets to a New Year's Six by winning the ACC. Uh, well, let me back up for a second. Wake beat NC State. It was 45-42. And I'm all confused because Wake had scheduled that that non-conference game. Wake is 6-1. and one. Wake controls their own destiny. If Wake Forest uh, finishes off the year with a win over BC, they are going to the ACC title game. So NC State's out. So let me, let's just correct that. NC State cannot win the Atlantic. Because they're five and two right now in the ACC, so they're out because they have they well, lost what, the head. What if it's a th- what if it's a three way tie with Clemson? Oh shit! These conference tiebreakers. Yeah, it, it's give me a break. It's like what you how many calories you had for lunch. It's just insane. By the time you get down to the deepest one, that's a great question. I advise all of our listeners just Google that. See that that's why I wanted to avoid talking about this game, and you had to go bring it up. <laughs> Yeah, it was so messed up. I thought it – you know what's, what's really bad? I haven't directly written this because I've never mentioned that NC State could win, but as I've written about this the last week, um, in my mind as I was writing, I was writing, oh, NC State could also get it. Never actually wrote that, but I actually have a misguided thought for more than a week that NC State could still win this division. My basic yeah, think- point is let's just ignore everything I've said. Good lesson for everybody. Ignore everything I've said up until this moment. The interesting thing about this game, Dan, is that Clemson could still win the Atlanta. Yeah, no, they could. They have a chance. But yeah. will they beat South Carolina? That's the question. I think they will. They will, but South Carolina has had a phenomenal year. I, South Carolina maybe has had as good of a year as anyone in the country relative to expectations. Expectations were exceedingly low. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they, they've had good wins. And it seems like Shane Beamer is – He's he's been he's been the guy, you know. So uh, phenomenal work by by that staff. Let's uh, let's move to Saturday. Ohio State, Michigan in the Big House. Ohio State's an eight point favorite. The way they looked last week against Michigan State, that was the Ohio State team that can win the national championship. Can they do that in back to back weeks and do it on the road at Michigan in a series they have dominated over the last decade? We'll see. I, I I pick I will pick Ohio State, but 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 Michigan's due. Yeah. They're going to win this game one of these years. <laughs> they will win this game one of these years at some point. Let's not forget Ohio State did the same thing to Purdue. Purdue obviously is not at this level, but five straight drives to start the game, five touchdowns. That's insane. Back to back games. Um, so I, Ohio State is rolling. I just would. I'm not saying Michigan can't win. I would just love to hear someone tell me why they think they could. I'm not sure what argument to make for them winning, except for the fact that they're a good football team that can dictate a different tempo of game than Michigan State was able to, that can play defense better, certainly on the back end, 
than the last few teams Ohio State has played. Um, has great guys on the edge. Hutchinson is one of the top players overall in the country, period, regardless, offense or defense. Maybe they can get after Stroud. Um, can they score enough points? The goal of the game is, after all, to outscore your opponent. Can Michigan score enough points if Ohio State does get rolling a bit? I don't know. I'd like to see them win in a sense that as a college football person, I'd like to see this rivalry get some balance back. I'd like us to talk about this game in 15 years. You know, but I don't feel really hopeful that Michigan's going to win this game. Yeah, it would be great if this was a real rivalry where teams were going back and forth and winning every other year, different outcomes. But yeah, it just until Michigan actually proves it and does it, I just think you have to you just have to go with Ohio State here. Yeah. Um, let's see what else we got on Saturday. Let's talk about the Iron Bowl only because yeah. what's, what is the reaction? Not for the game. What are what is the feeling around Auburn? Uh, it's not good. going to be when Alabama beats them forty to ten, and Harson is six and six, and has done legitimately very few things right in his first season. Yeah, it's been bad. It's been bad. I mean, look there there is speculation out there right now, and not to no reason to be coy about it. There's speculation that Harson might try to jump, you know, somewhere else, and. I can see it. Like now, I don't know. I don't know who would want him. Really, um, I don't think there's much to the Michigan. I mean, the Washington thing. Like there was a rumor earlier this week that he was, you know, at the top of the list for Washington. I don't put any stock in that. But if you were to, you know, tell me that some job out in the mountain or Western time zone, some sort of mid-level job was open and he just took it like I wouldn't shock me would it shock you not in the least I'm not yeah. saying a mountain west job let's be clear like he's not taking Utah State but a job in that region maybe one that's not available right now but that right. the domino could be available, available yeah. Yeah. 100% absolutely and look if I'm Washington State for instance I know their interim guy has done a very nice job if a Brian Harson is available I Arson is not the easiest guy to get along with. Uh, I think you have to take what you take with him, but I would be interested in hiring someone like that. I think his track record is good. So, yeah, I, I would not would not surprise me at all. Like you said, there's nothing to connect him there right now, but it would not surprise me at all to let to say, hey, uh, I need a mulligan on this and do a Mayflower moving van job at 2 a.m. out of those offices. No, it, it's it's been bad. Like between the vaccine stuff and – Oh, right, Okay. He's not getting the Washington State job, okay? He's yeah. not getting the Washington State job. That's, let me remove that from the equation right now. That's not happening. Um, but uh, it's been a bad year. You're right. No, I mean, and honestly, like, this is not one that you second guess. I think a lot of people first guess, first guess this one. <laughs> strange move. It was a strange move. There were things you liked about it, but at the end of the day, I think there was a, there was a question about that move. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, how about Bedlam? I mean, Oklahoma State has kind of been the the buzz team of late with that defense, and they are a four point favorite. The problem is they never win this game. Never. I, <laughs> I can't pick against OU because of that stupid fact. They're ninety yeah. eighteen and seven. Ninety eighteen and seven. Well, and it's and been a lot worse. of those eighteen. Yeah, a lot of those eighteen are like you know before. 
you know, before we had electricity. Yeah, it was from when Jebediah Gundy was playing quarterback <laughs> back in 1906. You know what I mean? Um, and it's not like they've done better under Gundy. He hasn't reversed this thing, you know? So, yeah, I'm taking OU because history is our greatest judge of the future, and history tells me OU is going to win this game, even if OU has been garbage two weeks in a row. And if their <laughs> offense was like that against Iowa State and Baylor, they could they could finish with negative 65 yards against the Cowboys. Well, that's the thing is, yeah, that's the thing is, like, how, how do you expect Oklahoma to score? That's 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 the problem from a logical standpoint, just from from a data standpoint. How do you expect them to score long touchdown runs, long passes? The this offense, I don't believe, is going 13 plays, 75 yards in, in five and a half minutes against Oklahoma State. 75 yard touchdown by Caleb Williams, broken play in the secondary, 52, 45 yard touchdown pass. That's that's it. That's how they win this game. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think we're in agreement. Um Hope uh, hope you have a good Thanksgiving. What are you doing? You getting together with family? What's the What's the plan? No, um, family is out of town. My family has gone to see my brothers in London. So my oh. wife and I and my dog will have a little get together here. Like I said, I'm going to have some ham. Going to have some drinks. Just ham. Just, n- nothing I really on the plate. Just want ham. ham. I just want ham and stuffing. I got to be honest with you. All the other stuff is great. It's all great. I don't turn anything down if it doesn't have cheese in it. I'll eat anything. Obviously. Um, but, uh, I just want ham and stuffing and you know what? You just even put it, this in a bowl. I don't even need a plate. Just let me stab oh, yeah. down, just stab down, downwards. Don't make gotta, me go horizontal. You know, honestly, I think this may be a good restaurant idea. Let's open a restaurant that just serves stuffing in a bowl and you get whatever toppings on the stuffing you want. I think like, a a, like a Chipotle. every meal in a bowl is great. Is it great? Like a, like a Chipotle for stuffing. So stuffing is your base, and then you're like, I want the brisket stuffing, or I want the yeah. carne asada stuffing. Um, yeah, I'm into it. Um, I need some capital, but I'm, I'm down for that. Stuffing's like one of those that's so good, and nobody eats it, except for on Thanksgiving. Right. Never, you never see it anywhere. You yeah. should have it all the time. Stuffing should be on every menu. I bet you there are diners in the, somewhere in the country that you can always get stuffing, but stuffing should have yeah, but it's always. It's always in a Thanksgiving context. It's always like, oh, the Thanksgiving plate with turkey and cranberry sauce. Yeah. I want the uh, – can I have the uh, – the, I'm going to go Chipotle and say, I'd like the uh, barbacoa, but can you put stuffing on the bottom? I don't want white rice or brown rice. Can I have uh, to go with stuffing and barbacoa? I don't, um, I don't think they have that in the back. I don't but... think they have that. But yeah, what do you what do you got going on? You're with your family, obviously. Yeah, with with family. Yeah, I mean traditional. You know, we're gonna have no no ham, just turkey and uh, stuffing and you know green vegetables and mashed potatoes and um, yeah, all that stuff. But you you mentioned cheese. You said no cheese. You don't want any cheese. No mac and cheese. <laughs> no, I don't you, want you, cheese you're... anywhere near my person. Get cheese away from me. I don't like it. I don't want it. Get it away from me. I don't want. It. You don't like don't. any kind of cheese. I'll eat a piece of pizza. I know that's confusing to a lot of people. It confuses my family a lot. Um, I don't want mac and cheese. I don't want cheese. I don't want that thing where you have the potatoes and they're scalloped or whatever right. that is. Yeah. I'll grab. I don't want that I'll kind of cheese. Yeah. I don't want cheese near me. I don't want cheese on my plate. I don't want cheese in my kitchen. I don't even want cheese in my fridge. I don't want cheese anywhere in the vicinity. Wow. Yeah, that's I just don't amazing. want that. I don't want that. It's like, uh, um, it's like when I get uh, Mexican food here. I don't want the tortilla. The tortilla gets in the way. Okay. I just want the inside. 
the cheese right, gets but, in the way. I don't like the taste. It ruins things for me. Just get rid of it. Okay. Okay, but if you no tortilla and no cheese, like what are you eating at a Mexican restaurant? Every want, every single every single dish at a Mexican restaurant has a tortilla and cheese. I know, but I want mine on top of some brown rice or maybe even white rice if I feel good about myself. That's just what I want. I know that that is contradictory because brown rice and white rice also flavor this, but there's you mix it together and it becomes more of a flavorful situation. I don't need a I don't need a wallet for my food. You know what I mean? I don't need a a, a, a purse to put my food in and then eat. The food can go directly into the bowl, like I'm saying, stuffing ham into the bowl, uh, whatever. You can cut up the ham in advance into bite-sized pieces like a small child before that and just take your fork, whisk that together, put some hot sauce in it. I put hot sauce on Thanksgiving food. I don't know why people don't think that, like, people think that's weird. You You put put hot sauce on anything, yeah. Yeah, but why would you, like, cranberry sauce? There's never any hot sauce in Thanksgiving. Like, it's taboo. I put hot sauce on it. I'm going to put Tabasco on top of that stuffing and ham. I'm going to mix that up. Um, I'm going to have it live during the meal. Two, three hours later, I'm going to put a bowl in the microwave for 30 seconds and do it again. And then maybe two or three hours after that, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to be a disgusting person. That's what Thanksgiving is. No, listen, my thing thing with food is do whatever you want. Eat whatever you want, and I'm not going to say anything. I do want to workshop this stuffing restaurant idea. We could be on something. Totally into it. Totally into it. I think certainly, like, you know those Christmas shops? You go to the mall, and it's like, hey, it's Christmas in Atlanta. It's open, like, four months a year. Yeah. Even if it's, like, a, a months ending in our situation, you know, that that's the time of year for stuffing. I think maybe it's a four- or five-month thing. People are. I would do it year-round. I would do it year-round. <laughs> yeah. It'd be the next big food trend. Yeah, I like the idea of, of offering, like, a stuffing food cart when it's 106 degrees out in Atlanta. Um, just come get your stuffing. Load up on your bread um, as you sweat profusely. And with that, happy Thanksgiving to all. Enjoy your holiday. Enjoy the football. It's going to be a phenomenal weekend. By the time we talk next week, a lot of this will be sorted out. We will, I think, have a pretty good idea uh, of at least uh, we're, we're down to about eight teams that have a chance to make the playoff. We will be down to, what, six? Six at minimum. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. College Football Fix podcast presented by USA Today Sports for Paul Meyerberg and Dan Wolken. Happy holidays, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. The College Football Fix podcast. With Paul Meyerberg and Dan Wolken. This is the College Football Fix podcast from USA Today Sports.